Hi folks, Bob Main here with another episode of today's Survival Show. Helping you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. Welcome to episode number 246 to be exact. I titled this episode Prepping Advice and Where to Live. And the reason I did that is, is, well, basically two things. First of all, Teen Prepper, who listens to this show quite a bit, and he's also been a contributor to this show, he uh, asked me, he said, you know, my family and I might be moving, and where would you suggest that we go to? So I did a little bit of research, and I've also traveled a lot. Excuse me. I've also traveled a lot, and I've also analyzed a lot of different areas of the country. And I've also done some research on this, so I'm going to share with you some ideas that I have. Now, it's hard to do a podcast like this on this subject without offending somebody. You know, because once I start talking about your area, for example, if I start to say negative things about your area... Some people get offended by that. So I'm going to go ahead and apologize in advance if I offend somebody on this episode because I talk you know, negatively about your area. But there's some things that you need to understand. If you're going to be relocating and you're a prepper, there's some things you need to, be understand, you need to understand about different various parts of the country. And it makes a big difference. Now, for some people, some of the negatives that I point out might not be negatives. They might be positives. And some of the positives I point out might be negative. So really, it's going to be up to you. But I hope to give you some ideas that you can think about anyway if you're thinking about moving, relocating. There's nothing wrong with relocating. I've done it many times. And I've relocated my preps many times. That's not much fun doing that. But sometimes it's, it's necessary. I'm also going to talk a little bit about some prepping advice and prepper tips and things like that, because I found a really good article, and, you know, I've thought about some of these things, too, and I think it's something that you should hear about. So, so let's start with that. Let's start with some prepping advice, or some, some prepping tips, sort of the, um, the what to do and what not to do's of prepping. First of all, it's estimated that there's about three million of us. How about that, huh? About 3 million of us, about 3 million preppers. Now, probably five years ago, it would have been a lot less than that. Prepping has become very mainstream. Survivalism, modern survivalism has become very mainstream. I'm glad to see it. How about you? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm glad to see that it's becoming mainstream. You know, it's, it's, prepping and survivalism is really what our grandparents and our great-grandparents did many years ago. I don't understand why there's such a negative stamp that's put on prepping. I mean, how many of us adore our grandparents, right? We love our grandparents, at least most of us, and our great-grandparents. And we look at them and we, we study them and we talk about them with a feeling of love to our grandparents and our great-grandparents. How come there's not enough people that appreciate and love their grandparents' lifestyle? You know, when our grandparents... I'm 52 years old, folks. I'm 52. I was, you know, so when I think of my grandparents, when they were growing up, when they were young people, there wasn't anywhere near the conveniences we have today. There weren't semi-trucks that were delivering food in a just-in-time inventory system to grocery stores. So it was just a way of life that you lived by growing your own food and storing up and canning and all the things that our grandparents did. That was a way of life. It was accepted. Well, we've gotten away from that, haven't we? I'm glad to see, though, that there's, you know, about three million of us, maybe more. Okay? But Michael Snyder writes in this article, 120 pieces of advice for preppers. I'll put a link in the show notes to the article. He writes some pretty good stuff in here. Now, I'm going to paraphrase because one thing I don't like to do is I don't like to just read to you. That's pretty boring. You can read on your own and check it out. But what I do is I study this stuff and I kind of put my own flavor to it. I apply it to my life and then I, I share it with you. Now, the biggest piece of advice, and Michael agrees with me on this, 
because I read it in his article, the biggest piece of advice right now, when people ask, what is it that they can do to start preparing? What's the one thing that they can do to start? Where do you start? How do you get this whole train going? You've heard me say on this podcast in many episodes previously, and it's not real popular, but here's the one thing that you need to start with that I think is first and foremost above everything else. We have millions of people who have lost their jobs in this country. And they didn't have any financial cushion and they've also lost their homes. So if I were you, the big, the big tip I would give you, the number one piece of advice is to start to build up that financial emergency fund. If you're a prepper, and you're living month to month, you're, you're gonna be in a world of hurt. Okay? What, what, you know, what's gonna happen to all your preps if your home's foreclosed on? So, you know, Michael recommends that people have an emergency fund of six months. I'm gonna increase that. I've said it many times a year. Have a one year emergency fund. You know, this is going to be controversial, folks, but don't do anything. Don't prepare in any other way. Right now, don't spend your money any way except for building up a savings account and having at least a year's worth of expenses in the bank. Pull out a calculator. Figure out what your monthly expenses are. You should be doing that anyway. Multiply it by 12, come up with a dollar figure. That's what you need to have in the bank. Or if you want to have it in cash, in a safe, part of it, at least not all of it. Or if you want to have it in gold and silver. Okay. By the way, if, if you're going to use gold and silver as an emergency fund, it, it better be Gold and silver that you can easily cash out, and it better be in small amounts. It better be in one-tenth ounce or one-ounce coins for gold. Or it better be in silver that's in small amounts. Having these huge bricks might be a little tough. You know, if the stink hits the fan really bad, might be a little tough to sell those because they're worth a lot of money. And it might be a little bit tough to find people that can shell out the cash for those, especially if you have to use gold and silver as a bartering tool. Okay, But I'm talking about right now. Right now. I'm talking about today. Have at least 12 months worth of expenses saved up. Now, I know some of you are probably saying, Oh, Bob, you know, cash is losing its value. That's true. However, you got to have some cash. Cash is king. Cash has always been king. You have to have some no matter how devalued it is, especially if there's a banking crisis. And a lot of people a lot of people might think that I'm kind of, you know, whacked out and way out there. You know, this is a no tin foil hat kind of show. I don't like to go tin foil hat on you. I like to keep things rooted in common sense. But a banking failure, banking crisis is not it's not that far fetched to start thinking about. So, let's say you're the kind of person that already has 12 months saved up. I do. I got more than that. But let's say you're the kind of person that has 12 months of expenses saved up. So, let's continue. Now, I want to talk about the big five. The big five. Food, water, shelter, energy, and self-defense. I'll say that again. Food, water, shelter, energy, and self-defense. If you got those five all prepped, if you got them all wrapped up, you're in pretty good shape. If if you got food, plenty of it, water or good access to water, good shelter, you got some kind of an energy source, even if it's temporary, and you got your self-defense needs taken care of, you're pretty good. You're in pretty good shape. If you don't, write those down. Circle the ones that you need to work on greatly and get to work on them. But here's the thing. I find that most people, you know, what's the one complaint that people, most people have as, as the reason that they can't adequately, adequately prepare? Have you heard it? I'm sure you probably have. What's the one complaint that most people say? 
Well, I don't have enough money. Right? You don't have enough money. All right. And you're probably not going to have enough money to do it all while you're building that emergency fund. You'll be amazed, though, while you're building that emergency fund, it creates the discipline you need to start taking care of the other big five. Food, water, shelter, energy, and self-defense. It's amazing. Financial discipline leads to discipline in other areas. Trust me, it, it just does. Okay. Some things not to do. Now, <laughs> I'm looking at this article. And by the way, I'll post, a, I'll post a link to it. Don't worry. I'm looking at this. And this author, he writes some things that he, he writes down some things here of what not to do. And, and I do some of these. But you know what? It's a, ch- it's a chance I take. Everything I do is a calculated risk. And you got to take some risks in lives, folks. You know, if you don't take, if you don't take risk, you're never going to gain anything. All right, now, so let's talk about privacy. Okay, now, because I do a public podcast and I talk about prepping, you know, I don't keep my stuff as private as most of you listening to this. But again, it's a choice that I make. I believe in helping people. I like helping people. I believe that it will come back to me in many different ways. So I hope you get helped by this. Okay, so here's here's some privacy tips that the author writes about. Um, trust no one that you do not personally know. Okay, even the little old lady down the road. Things get bad if the stink hits the fan real bad and she's hungry, she might rat you out. Okay, so be careful. Um, you do need to have a prepper network. I've talked about that before. Have a survival network of people. But then again, once you, once you have a network of people, then there are people that you know. But try to, try not to trust too many people that you don't personally know. Now, number two, keep prepping to yourself. This is one where I violate this sometimes. Okay, but don't tell anybody that you're prepping. I mean, if they know that you have large stores of food, where do you think they're going to go when the stink hits the fan? And I've told you that you have to be, you know, you got to be, you got to be, be prepared for that kind of stuff. Um, the Department of Homeland Security thinks that we're a bunch of domestic terrorists. If we have a bunch of food stored and water and weapons. According to them, we're domestic terrorists. How about that? Nice people, aren't they? Number three, he says, don't share any prepping articles on Facebook or other social media. I'm not so sure if I agree with that or not. But basically, his point is don't draw a lot of attention to yourself. You might think that you're educating people, but in reality, you're just letting them know of what your plans are. There are ways to... Share your articles or your blog posts and things like that. I mean, I do it all the time on the forum and I do it in this podcast. By the way, if you want to join our forum, um, go to, go to www.todayssurvival.com. That's, there's two S's in that address. Todayssurvival.com. Click the forum button. Sign up for the forum and after you register, please send me an email and tell me that you registered and tell me what your username is. My email is bob at todayssurvival.com. Bob at todayssurvival.com. I do this. This is the way I keep spammers off of the forum, okay? It's the only really good way. And I know people say, well, Bob, that limits growth of your forum. Yeah, okay, fine. At least I know that you're a listener and you really want to contribute. But getting back to sharing on Facebook and social media. I think if you do it right, you don't have to lay out details. You can be vague enough, but you can still get the point across. Now, number four, here's a, here's a good one. Here's a good privacy tip. When you order emergency prepping supplies, okay, make sure, try to make sure that they don't ship it in boxes that are labeled with a company name. Now, most, not all, but some survival supply companies, they'll put this right in the ordering information. Okay? Why? Well, first of all, it'll tip off the UPS driver. Second of all, if it's the kind of box where they leave on your front porch, 
Well, then now everybody knows. There you go. Now you got a year's worth of food because it's been on your front front porch and it says freeze dried food. It's got the name of a company on it or something like that. At the very least, if if they are going to send it out, they are going to send the boxes of supplies to you, and it's got their company logo on it. And I understand companies want to advertise, and they got their name on it. Make sure that you are there to pick it up right away, so it doesn't sit on your porch, your front porch, or your back porch. Okay, number five. I'm not so sure if I 100% agree with. He says, "Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anybody what you're up to." But you know, like I said, you can. You can be vague enough, and you can do that. And number six, he says, be alert to what others are saying. He uses an example of sitting in his dental hygienist chair a week ago, and uh, or is sitting in the dental chair, and the hygienist um, told him about another patient that was storing food. And uh, she made some kind of a comment like, well, gee, you know, if I ever need food, I know where I'm going to go. So so just think about that. Just think about that. I don't 100% agree with all of these, but it's it's some things to think about. Now, here are 10 things you might want to really think about. And I've covered most of these. But I think they, they bear repeating. These are some things that you can start doing now. Now, I talked to you about the big five. The big five categories where you need to be prepared. The big five, again, I'll say, food, water, shelter, energy, and self-defense. Now, let's break that down a little bit further. Okay, ten things that you need to set goals. I've talked about setting goals before. Goals need to be measurable and attainable. They need to be realistic. Smart goal setting. Okay, make sure that you're into smart goal setting. All right, so here are 10, 10 goals that you need to... And, and some of you might say, hey, Bob, I got all 10 of these nailed. That's good. Good for you. Number one, get out of debt. And that goes along with building an emergency fund. Okay? And I would say, number one, it should be number one on your list for a reason. Get out of debt. Number two, find new sources of income. I've talked about this many times. You have to have different sources, different ways to generate an income to make money. You know, if you don't have enough money, figure out a way to make more money. You know, do something. Do something on the side that can generate some money. Even if it's going to get a part-time job or something like that. I earn a little bit of money off of both podcasts that I do. This show, today's survival show, and I also do the Handgun World podcast. So if you're into guns and firearms and things like that, and ammunition and concealed carry... You might want to listen to my Handgun World podcast. That's at handgunworld.com. So between my Amazon store, which I hope when you when you make your purchases on Amazon, if you wouldn't mind, here's one way you could support my show because I don't have any paid sponsors on this show. I don't like to run a bunch of commercials. I try to keep this commercial free. So it's listener supported. When you make your purchases on Amazon, if you don't mind, go over to todayssurvival.com. Click my Amazon store page. You'll see a link. Use that link or save that link and come back to it and make your Amazon purchases through that link. I will, I'll, I'll earn a little bit of an extra income when you do that. It's a great way for you to support the show and you don't have to spend any extra money doing it. But find extra ways to make money. Okay, I have a full-time job. Thank God. I'm, I'm very blessed the good Lord has has provided me with a, with a good full-time job and benefits. I make money on that. That's my primary source of income. I make a little bit of money on this podcast. I don't do this full-time. And by the way, the money I make is basically uh, just, just a little bit of a supplement. That's all. Okay? So find, have multiple income streams. I also make money off of some investments I have. So there are those are three ways that I make money. My full-time job, this podcast, and some investments. All right, number three, reduce your expenses. Okay, this kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with the emergency fund. But reducing the expenses, tighten up, get on that budget. Number four, learn to grow your own food. This is where I'm lacking. 
This is where I'm lacking. I'm not that great of a gardener. I used to be back when I was a young person. I need to get back into that. I need to get back into that. And that's something that um, that's that I'm really working hard to get back into. I, it's not something I really enjoy, but I bet if I probably got into it and started doing it more actively, I would enjoy it more. Number five, make sure you have a reliable water supply or at least a lot of good water storage. I've done I've done a couple episodes on water storage. You can go on the forum and you can find a bunch of information about water storage. So check that out. Number six, buy land. This is on my list of things to do. This is on my goal, my smart goal list. Buy land. Real estate's some of the best investment that you can make, period. Not just for preppers, but if you buy real estate and do it smart, it's a great investment. And it can be another income source. I just got done talking about a new source of income. You can make income off of real estate. Or just regular land, unimproved land. Number seven, work on ways to get off the grid. Maybe not completely. If you can completely live off the grid, more power to you. But I'm talking about just try to reduce your level of dependency on the grid. Any kind of an alternative energy source. Any ways that you can save money. Uh, on your on your energy bills. You might not be off the grid, but you might be using a lot less of the grid. Number eight, store non-perishable supplies. Non-perishable supplies. Uh, tools comes to mind when I think of that. Comes to mind big time. Tools. How many of you have lots of good tools and and supplies where you can build things and make things. And by the way, how much do you know about how to use those tools? A lot of tools can be used for something other than their originally intended purpose, and they can actually help you out quite a bit. Now, number nine, develop stronger relationships. I've talked a lot about this in the past, especially when I've talked about developing a survival and prepper network. I like to use this podcast and the forum to connect with you, listeners. And some of you I've never met face-to-face. But I still feel like you're my brothers and sisters. Because we've spent the better part of four years now. It's about how I've been doing this podcast a little bit over four years. Oh, actually, gosh, you know what? In August of this year, it's going to be five years. Wow. Whew. Time flies. So I spent the better part of five years getting to know a lot of you. And that's, that's developing stronger relationships. So, so do that. And then get educated and stay flexible. Now this number 10 here is, is very important. Get educated and stay flexible. I think Mr. Snyder here, the author, I think he, he hit the ball out of the park with that last one. Get educated. I hope you find this podcast educational. I hope that you're reading a lot of books. 299 Days Collection by Glenn Tate. By the way, if you get Glenn Tate's books, if you get them off of Amazon in ebook or if you get them in uh, hardcover, please get them through uh, my Amazon account. That would be very helpful. But just getting educated, getting on the Internet, going to good quality forums, listening to podcasts, reading books and things like that, and stay flexible. Frustrates me when I'm on the Internet reading something or I'm talking to somebody, and boy, they're just so set in their ways. That's it. They're just so set in their ways, they're going to do it their way, and that's it because they know it all. Stay flexible. Always be willing to learn something new. Here's something else about staying flexible. Always be willing to admit that maybe you're wrong. Or maybe not necessarily that you're wrong, but maybe there's a better way that you didn't know about. People have great ideas, and someone may have an idea or an experience on how to do something a little bit better and a little more efficiently. So think about that. Okay, so that completes the list of things that you can start doing right now. Now, here's some questions that I want to urge you and your family to ask yourself. And I've asked myself all of these questions at one point in time over the last five years. Some of these I've asked myself many times. First of all, what am I preparing for? Everybody's going to be different. I can't tell you what to prepare for. I don't know you. 
I don't know you in depth. So many of you, I don't even know where you live. So it's pretty tough for me to tell you. You have got to sit down with your family, sit down with your spouse and kids and ask yourselves the question, what are we preparing for? The next question is, am I going to bug in or bug out? And boy, I tell you what, that's an argument that you, you can start bar fights with that argument. Should you bug in or should you bug out? Well, who knows? For some people, some people favor bugging in. I kind of favor bugging in. Although the problem is, is I live in, in the suburbs of a major metropolitan area. I live in the San Antonio suburbs. So, bugging in might only be good just to a point, and then i got to bug out. So whether you're going to bug in or bug out, you might do both. You might bug in for a while, and then you know you might have a plan that you're going to bug in, you're going to stay in for a while, and then there's going to be a trigger. And once that trigger occurs, then you're out. You're gone. You're bugging out. You're out of here. So where are you going to go? Do you have a plan? Do you have property? And do you have shelter? And if you don't have a bug out property and shelter, that's okay. That's okay. Do you have a plan? Do you have a place to go? Do you have someone that you're close to where you can go? Think about that. Okay. Another question to ask yourself is, can I defend my family and my property? And of course, you know, defending your preps. That's important because people are going to come after them. So do you have a self-defense plan? And I'm not just talking about guns and weapons. There's lots of different ways that you can defend your property. Uh, I'm a big security guy. I used to be in the home security business. I used to be in, in that business for quite some time, and I was pretty good at it. I worked for both a uh, an alarm security dealer, and I worked for a manufacturer that made the products that alarm security dealers like to install. And I've been sli- slightly involved in, in surveillance cameras in, in a past life. Now I'm into hotel security. So now what I sell are hotel security products, including door locks and a bunch of other security products. So that's kind of near and dear to my heart. Do you have a barrier of defense that includes all the different ways that you can defend your property? And I've been getting some requests to do another episode on this, so I think I'm probably going to do that coming up soon. That might even be next week's show. Let me think about that. Another question you need to ask is, do I have enough to feed my family until order is restored? Now, you might be thinking, well, you know, Bob, I don't know how long it's going to take for order to get restored. Well, that's true. None of us really do. I would say if you're the kind of person and you got a minimum of 90 days to feed your family, minimum, I think there's a very, very good chance that order is going to be restored within 90 days. Depends on the on the disaster. If it's a weather disaster, Probably well within 90 days. Now, if it's a partial collapse of our country, as Glenn Tate writes about in his book series, 299 Days, and of course I've had Glenn on this show many times, well, then you're going to need more than 90 days. So, again, it goes back to the question, what am I preparing for? And then once you determine that, do you have enough to feed your family until order is restored? Another question, how can I heat or cool my home or wherever it is that you live? Okay, if energy is scarce, if electricity is scarce, right? I mean, power outages for a week, that's not uncommon, is it? How are you going to heat and cool your place? What are you going to do? Here's something maybe you haven't thought about how are you going to keep clean cleanliness after a stink hit the fan event is so important how are you going to keep clean okay another question to ask is how am i going to provide light do you have alternative light sources Communications. I've had people on here talking about ham radios and two-way radios and CB radios. I've had them on this show. Go back and listen to some of the past episodes. How are you going to keep the whole information trail going? How are you going to keep contact with the outside world? You're going to need to do it. You're going to need to keep track 
of what's going on in the world, and you're going to be able to, you're going to have to communicate to the outside world. Also, what do you have to offer others? I think this is a big question to, to consider. What is it that you have to offer others? Now, I talked about privacy earlier in this episode. Privacy is good right now, but when the stink hits the fan, when something happens, you're going to need the assistance of others. But they may not be really excited to help you unless you've got something to offer them. What is it that you have to offer other people? I mentioned earlier I'm pretty good with security. Okay, I also have pretty good people skills. So I can help people keep themselves secure and well defended and protected, and I can help them communicate. I'm pretty good with people skills. I'm good at brokering deals. I'm good at negotiating. So these are things that I would bring to a collection of people and preppers that I could offer. And by the way, if you think negotiating is not a survival skill, I I think you're incorrect. I think you're wrong. This is something a lot of podcasters don't talk about this. You don't hear much about this, but I talk about it. I like to talk about it a lot. Negotiating and bartering. Negotiating and bartering. I'm big on those. If supply is scarce, if the money supply is in trouble, if our whole financial system is in trouble, if you can negotiate and barter services and you have those kinds of people skills, I think you're going to be much farther ahead to survive a disaster, especially if you've got a group of people together that are all working towards a common goal. So think about that. What is it that you have to offer other people? Now, if your skills are not the same as mine, but you have other things to offer, you you need to identify those and you need to prepare in those areas more than what you need so that you can offer that to other people. A lot of people disagree with me on this. I know a lot of preppers and survivalists that say, forget it, I'm not giving anybody nothing. It's going to all stay with me, and boy, they're all going to be in trouble if they try to come to get it. If you're that much of an isolationist, I, I I don't think the prospects for your long term survival, either now, before the stink hits the fan, or after it hits the fan, I don't think your prospects are very good. That's just my personal opinion. I don't think that you can be that much of a loner. Next question you need to ask yourself. Here's something else that's interesting. How are you going to fight off boredom? Boy, is that a good good point to make. Uh, Boredom can set in. Because, you know, hey, look, folks, your normalcy bias, uh, (laughs) let me tell you what, that's gone. Your life as you know it is gone. And the new normal for you might be a pretty boring event. If the stink hits the fan, you may not have a lot of today's luxuries that keep you busy. So do you have a plan to fight off that boredom? Think about that. And I'm going to put a link to this entire article, by the way. There's a page you need to go to, and you can read all this stuff. And last but not least, another question is, how am I going to pay for all this stuff? Boy, think about that. How are you going to pay for it all? Interesting thought, huh? So, that concludes the first half of this episode. Just some prepping advice, some prepping tips, some things for you to think about, some questions, some areas to, to work on, some things to write down, and so forth. Now I'm going to shift gears a little bit, and I'm going to get into Teen Prepper's question about what are some good places in the United States to live? Because, he's, like I said, he was talking about he and his family might be considering a move. And maybe, maybe you've had this question, too. What are some areas in the United States? Now, I, I know I have international listeners. And, you know, obviously, maybe this second half might not apply much to you. But you might learn something from it. Even so, you might learn something about the United States listening to the next half of this Um, this episode. So, let me take a quick break and I'll be back.
Okay, now let me talk about some of the best places for preppers to live. I'm going to take the United States and I'm going to break it down into... Uh, let's see here. I'm going to break it down into about six, section, six sections, seven sections, actually. Seven or eight sections. I'm, and I'm going to talk a little bit about each one. You're going to come to your own conclusion. Uh, I may not talk about specific states. Yeah, maybe I will. Maybe I will. But let's break the United States down into several different sections and for things to, for you to think about. Okay, now, first of all, if you live in or near a major city like me right now, that's okay. That's all right. Because most Americans do live near or in a, a major city. Even if you have limited financial resources, right, you can start making a plan that it's going to get you to where you want to go. If you want to move to another part of the country that's, that's good for preppers, Right. Just start. First of all, start applying. Start applying for jobs out there. You can start doing that now. Okay. You can also be working hard to develop a business that will enable you to move. Now, I talked about this in the previous segment. Segment. You can start developing a business, another or another source of income, that will enable you to move to where you want to go. See, again, that's the benefit of having multiple sources of income, and. Balancing that out with reduced expenses. Okay, maybe you have friends or family in more isolated parts of the country that maybe they'll let you stay with them during an economic collapse, but also let you stay with them while you're getting relocated to another, to the, maybe possibly to their area. Okay, the key is to come up with a plan and start working towards the plan. No one plans to fail, they just fail to plan. So if you don't have a plan yet, get one. Now, not all parts of the United States are equal. And they all have their own set of problems. And this is where I said earlier, I might offend some people if you live in these areas. Of course, I live in one of these areas. And, you know, there's in Texas, we have our disadvantages in Texas also. I will say that Texas is a great place for preppers, though. It's one of the better ones, I believe. And I don't just say that because I live here. Um, I'll get into that in a little bit. There's some there's some pretty good things about the great state of Texas. There's some pretty negative things too. But I'll get to that a little bit later. All right, let's talk about the Northeast U.S. first. One one big problem with the Northeast United States is that it's just so crowded. I mean, there are rural areas, yes, but the overall density of of that whole region, the population density. It would make it pretty hard to go unnoticed if you're that kind of a person. If you're the kind of person that wants to go unnoticed for a long time, if there's some kind of a major, major economic collapse, it's going to be kind of tough to do that in the Northeast. Another thing that's not real great about the Northeast is that so much of the population lives near the coastline. As a matter of fact, the West Coast is just as bad too. So many people live near the coast. Now, Look at Japan recently. All right? Uh, Japan's had some natural disasters recently that made living near the coastline not a very good thing. Think about that. Now, the problem with... There's a certain level of insecurity when it comes to living in coastal areas. I mean... uh, Hurricane Katrina, do I need to say any more? You know, or oil spills. How do you know when the next tsunami, oil spill, or hurricane is going to strike? The other, the other problem with the Northeast, it's very cold. Okay? So staying warm and growing your own food, the growing season is quite a bit shorter than in other parts of the, of the country. Might be a lot more difficult. Now, can you survive in the Northeast? Yes. A lot of people who listen to this show email me, and they're from the Northeast. You know, the New England states or even the Mid-Atlantic states and so forth, and I'm going to get to that. So if you're used to it, great, and if it suits you, great. But if you live in the Northeast and you're thinking about moving to a more prepper-friendly area, keep listening. Now, let's talk about the Mid-Atlantic. Boy, I tell you, first of all, the Mid-Atlantic is a beautiful place. I've been in the Mid-Atlantic a lot, and um, it's gorgeous. 
It's gorgeous. But it's also got one of the same problems that the Northeast has, which is very high population density. Now, all I got to do is point out the example of Washington, D.C. I mean, you know, you can you can drive 50 or 60 miles around Washington, D.C., and it's pretty much all suburbs. Now, when you get south of there, there's some nice areas. The weather is nicer than the northeast in the mid-Atlantic, and there are a lot less densely populated areas once you get south of D.C. So uh, that's not a bad, I, you know, bad place. And, and I'm going to throw North Carolina and South Carolina into that mid-Atlantic region, even though some people consider it the south. Those are some nice states. Those are some real nice states. I think if you're not too close to, too close to the coast in North and South Carolina, you might want to check those out. You might want to consider those. Okay, the people are friendlier, the weather is nicer, people are more prepper-minded typically. Um, it's really not that far from the mid-Atlantic, so if you've got family members that you need to get to, it's not that far of a drive, especially if you're in North Carolina. Okay, so think about that. So I'm going to throw that in there into the mid-Atlantic, you know, uh, West Virginia. I'm going to kind of throw that in there. Parts of Virginia are pretty nice. So, you know, but it's got it's got its set of areas. Plus, the Mid-Atlantic and the Northeast are also quite expensive. So if you're looking for a place to relocate and you're a prepper and you want to build that emergency fund that I was talking about earlier and you want to cut back on your expenses, may I suggest that you look at some of the more self, excuse me, some of the more less expensive areas to live I mean, cost of living is high in both the Mid-Atlantic and the Northeast. Ridiculously high. I have relatives in New Jersey. And I talk to them frequently. So I learn a lot from them about the expenses. Uh, it's insane. Just insane. Taxes are ridiculous. You know, you have to look at this from the perspective of what is it going to cost you now and what's it going to cost you after the stink hits the fan. Okay, if you're in the Northeast and the Mid-Atlantic, costs are, well, they might go down a little bit after the stink hits the fan, but not, not comparatively to the rest of the country. All right, let's talk about Florida. No offense to my Florida listeners. Okay, Florida might not necessarily be the place that you want to be during an economic collapse. I'm talking economy. Right now, Florida is very depressed as compared to the rest of the country. The housing market is an absolute disaster. In many parts of Florida, the crime rate's very high. Okay, and it's also on their coastline, on the Florida coastline, very densely populated. Now, the weather is wonderful. The growing season is terrific. Those are big pluses. Okay. Another negative when it comes to Florida is the fact that it's, it's very flat and most of Florida is just slightly above sea level. So think about that. Um, actually, a lot of Florida is below sea level. So that, 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 could be, that could be really something to think about. Hurricanes especially, they're always a major threat in Florida. It's a beautiful state. It's wonderful. I have relatives there too. I have relatives in the Tampa Bay area. But I can tell you that there's, there are some negatives about Florida that I don't know if I want to be in if there's a major collapse. Minor collapse, maybe. The growing season, the weather... Those are two big pluses. Cost of living is relatively low. Okay? Taxes are eh, relatively low comparatively. Florida has no state income tax, which I think is great. Texas has no state income tax. Boy, I tell you what, if you, I love the states that don't have any state income taxes, and I'm going to tell you what those are in a little bit, because it's like giving yourself a raise. When I moved to Texas... I got a raise. I got a raise of about 7% just moving. How did I do that? I didn't have to pay approximately 7% in state income tax. From where I came from, I didn't have to pay 7% in state income tax. So I gave myself a raise. Oh, Bob, but you're going to pay, you're going to pay higher in property taxes and it's going to be a wash. Nope, that's not true. I've run the numbers many times. The higher, the slightly higher property taxes that I pay in Texas versus other states where there is a state income tax, it does not equal 7% of my income. 
So I've done the math. I'm still ahead being in a state that doesn't have any state income tax. So that's a good thing about Florida. All right, let's talk about the southeast. Wow. Um, the last couple of years, the southeast has taken a pounding. I mean, first it was Hurricane Katrina, and then then we had that BP oil spill. Remember that? How could we forget? And then the tornadoes back in, I think it was 2011 or 2012. Uh, another negative, there's a lot of poverty in the southeast part of the country. There's also a lot of crime as well. Uh, but it's a nice area too. I mean, there are a lot of great people who live in the southeast who are excellent, wonderful preppers. And they're just good patriots and they're excellent people. But if you don't know what, if you don't know you, your way around in the southeast, it can be a very difficult place to move to. If you're not real familiar with the culture, if you're coming from the Northeast, for example, and you go down to the Southeast, you talk about a culture shock. And, you know, it might be a little tough for you to build that survival network. Uh, it might be tough for you to get to know people. It might be hard for, for them down there to get used to you Yankees. So think about all that. Now, the Southeast has very rich soil. So if you're into growing food and you're into gardening, a lot of good rich soil in the Southeast. Um, a lot of good trees. So if you like tree cover, if you like vegetation cover, a lot of that. If you're an outdoors person, the southeast is wonderful. If you like to hunt and fish, you know, Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia. A lot of great hunting and fishing there. So that's good if that's your cup of tea and you like that. Now let's talk about the Mid-South. The Mid-South, my parents live there. I think one of the most beautiful places in the country are the mountains along the Tennessee-North Carolina border and also the Smoky Mountain area. That's where my parents live. They live near, near the Smoky Mountains. Uh, I love it there. Um, you know, if you have to be in the eastern half of the United States, I think that's an excellent choice. Um, as a matter of fact, if I was not living in South Texas, and I live here because of my employment, I would be living in the Mid-South, I'd be living near the Tennessee-North Carolina border, or I'd be in East Tennessee, or I'd be maybe over in Central Tennessee, someplace like that. And by the way, Tennessee, Tennessee itself, has no state income tax either. Now, where you don't want to be in the Mid-South is near the New Madrid Fault Zone. And I'll put a link in the show notes so you can see where the New Madrid Fault Zone is. Okay, it covers parts of Illinois and Indiana, Missouri, Arkansas, Kentucky, Mississippi. The biggest earthquakes in the, some of the biggest earthquakes in the history of the U.S. were caused by the New Madrid Fault. Uh, and a lot of people are convinced that it's going to happen again. So stay away from that fault zone. Again, I will put a link in the show notes. Okay, let's talk about my homeland. The upper Midwest. Most of you know I was raised for a large portion of my life in Wisconsin. I miss Wisconsin, especially northeast Wisconsin, right around the Green Bay and Appleton area. That's where I was raised. Go Packers! Okay, <laughs> had to throw that in there. Especially for all you Chicago Bear and Minnesota Viking fans. I had to throw that in there. Okay, well let's talk about the upper Midwest. It was once a vibrant, vibrant area. Okay, It was once one of the great manufacturing regions of the U.S. Now it's the Rust Belt. Here's the problem with the upper Midwest. Places like Detroit uh, and parts of Chicago are just total disasters. And, and tens of thousands of factories and millions of jobs have been lost and shipped overseas. It's a shame. Now, there's some great, wonderful people up there. Um, like I said, I've still got family in the upper Midwest. I'm from the upper Midwest. I'll always call Wisconsin home. It's always home. Even though, you know what? I've lived in Texas. I've lived in Texas almost as long as I lived in Wisconsin. It's getting pretty close. I lived in Texas now, I think it's been a little over 16 years, and I was in Wisconsin for 
19 years. So it's getting close. I still call Wisconsin home. But the truth of the matter is, is that part of the country is very cold and unemployment is a real big problem. The growing season is far shorter than most areas. So if you're a prepper that likes to garden, you got a real short growing season in the upper Midwest. You do have very fertile soil. You have very rich, good, fertile soil up there. And that makes it that makes uh, makes it a plus when you can grow grow things, okay? But we see a lot of people getting out of the upper Midwest. We see a lot of people moving out of there. And so just just think about that. Um, but if you need a job, you might want to look at North and South Dakota right now. Uh, there's a huge amount of jobs available. There's an abundance of natural resources and a lot of jobs in North and South Dakota. Okay? So think about that. Uh, if you really need a job and you can handle the weather and you can handle the short growing season and you don't mind the climate and you can prepare for how to heat your home and things like that, you know, you might want to check that out. Okay, let's talk about the Southwest, Arizona, New Mexico, West Texas, places, places like that. There's a lot of freedom-loving Americans in the Southwest. The weather's warm. It's nice. If you want to get lost, if you want to just go lose yourself and, and kind of just disappear, pretty easy to do in the Southwest. It's also got some negatives. It's very dry, and a lot of the areas there don't have a lot of water. Drought is real bad. Fortunately, fortunately, I live in a part of Texas where the drought's not so bad. Um, in, in the greater San Antonio area, We've actually been getting a lot of rain lately, so the drought is getting better. But not in West Texas. And especially in New Mexico and Arizona and, and parts of that region, the, the, the drought's bad. Wildfires are also very common. Another problem with the Southwest, we also have it in, in Texas, illegal immigration. Um, it's rampant. And it's always going to be a security threat. So if you're looking at this from a long-term prepping point of view... You got to think about the the illegal immigration problem. You got to think about that. And yeah, I know I used a politically incorrect term. I called them illegals because that's what they are. They broke the law. Sorry, I'm not going to call them other names like undocumented and, and, and crap like that. They're illegals. They broke the law. They didn't come in here legally into this country. They're lawbreakers. Sorry, but it is. It is a big problem, and it's a constant security threat. So you got to think about that. Um, you know, I mean, if you're familiar, if you're familiar with the Southwest, it might not be a bad choice. But just plan for, plan for the common issues. Plan for the dry climate. Plan for the immigration problem. And you're probably going to be, you know, you're going to be set. Okay, the Great Plains, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, places like that. As long as you get far enough away from that New Madrid fault, might not be a bad choice. It's very, very flat. It can also be very, very windy, although wind might be a good thing. If you know how to harness wind energy, it might be a good thing. Now, it's real easy in the Great Plains to grow your own food. So people that live there find that gardening is not too difficult, okay? Population density. Remember I talked about that earlier with the Northeast and the Mid-Atlantic? Population density is usually very low in most parts of the Great Plains. Now, I think we all know the big negative, right? Tornadoes. And the United States experiences more tornadoes than any place else in the world. I don't, I, don't know if, I don't know if you know that. We have more tornado touchdowns in the U.S. than anywhere in the world. And guess where the vast majority of them are? The Great Plains. Okay, that's why it's called Tornado Alley. So plan for that. But the Great Plains is not bad. You know, I, I kind of like Missouri. I like Nebraska. Kansas is okay. Uh, I like Missouri. I like Missouri quite a bit. 
So, you know, you might want to think about that. Now, let's talk about the, uh, the West Coast, a very, very populated area of the United States. Um, just my personal opinion, during an economic collapse, the West Coast is probably not a really, really good place to be. I mean, look at California, for example. Okay, right now, California is an economic nightmare. No offense to my California listeners, but I got to tell the truth on this podcast. Millions of people have left California over the last 20 or 25 years. It's an economic disaster. It's a tax nightmare. You have to have an incredible amount of money or make an incredible amount of money just to live a normal lifestyle out there compared to so many other parts of the countries uh, of the country. And again, immigration, especially in California. Now, I'm going to talk about the Northwest in a little bit, but I'm talking about California mainly right now. Okay, uh, again, illegal immigration. And illegals have have replaced so many of the people that have left California. Earthquakes. Do I have to do I have to say anything more about that? Now, are there pockets of California where a prepper could go and flourish? Yeah, sure there are. There are, but they're few and far between in my opinion. Now, um Oregon's a little bit better and I'm going to get a little bit more deeply into the 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 Pacific Northwest. But but Oregon also has very high taxes, and and they got some economic problems going on right now. Okay, now the West Coast also lies in the Ring of Fire. There's, there's a lot of wildfires out there, so you gotta you gotta think about that if you're thinking about a place. You know, would California, the West Coast, be some place that I would be put it at the top of my list for a prepper to move to? No. And since this segment of the show is about places for a prepper to live. I'm sorry. I just I just can't put the West Coast, with the exception of portions of the Pacific Northwest, I just can't put the West Coast near the top of the list. All right. Um, the Northwest. Oregon, Washington, Montana, Idaho, parts of Wyoming. Again, a lot of large numbers of freedom-loving Americans. Uh, they've been moving there. They live there. You know, it's it's a very, very nice area. Okay? It does get cold up there, but not as cold as the upper Midwest. I know. Yeah, I know how cold the upper Midwest gets. One of the appealing things about most of the Northwest, and I'm not talking about Seattle and Portland, but the population density is very low in most places. And there's an abundance of wildlife. And a lot of preppers like to, obviously a lot of preppers are into hunting and they're into fishing. That's important. Where there's an abundance of wildlife, it's much easier to hunt. It's much easier to harvest your own food. It's much easier to hunt for your own food. The growing season's pretty de- pretty decent in the upper Midwest. There's a lot of rivers up there, a lot of streams, a lot of lakes. Okay, in certain areas, there's a lot of rain. So if you like to collect rainwater, like to keep your gardens watered, you know th- these are big pluses in the Northwest. Okay, it's it's one of the top areas. The Northwest is one of the top areas for prep for preppers, for people that are modern survivalists and preppers. It's not perfect, but it's got a lot of advantages. And probably out of all the regions, out of all the regions in the United States, I would say probably the Northwest, either the Pacific Northwest or Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, that area up in there. It's probably got more advantages than any other major region of the USA. So, you know, cost of living is not real high. And again, I'm, I'm not including Seattle and, and Portland metro areas in my analysis, but the cost of living is still pretty low in most of those areas, which is a good thing because you've got to always got to be thinking about that. What's the cost? What's the cost? What's the cost? Okay. I don't want to leave out Alaska and Hawaii. Boy, both of those would be pretty tough. They'd be pretty tough. Um, Alaska is just very, very cold. Great, great freedom up in Alaska. Great gun laws up in Alaska. Man, it's just cold. 
And, and by the way, almost everything has to get shipped or flown into Alaska. Same with Hawaii. Things have to get shipped or flown into. So that can make it pretty problematic. If there's a huge economic collapse or, and supplies are, are short, Alaska and Hawaii could be one of the last places to receive supplies. They, they could be one of the first ones to get cut off. You know, Hawaii's got a huge population and not a lot of room out there. And, and again, most, most supplies are pretty, going to be pretty hard to come by if the planes quit flying and the ships quit sailing. So think about all that. And, and by the way, Hawaii's very, very expensive. Of course, Alaska's not. But, and again, no offense to Alaska. It's wonderful. Talk about wildlife and hunting and fishing. Wow. Boy, that's, that's a gold mine, isn't it? So that, that's what Alaska's got going for it. So is there a right or a wrong answer? No, there's not. There are some places that are far more conducive. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about Texas. You know, one thing about Texas is that we're so diverse. Texas has a huge amount of natural resources, a lot. Texas has a very low standard, um, excuse me, low uh, cost of living. Standard of living is pretty good. Standard of living in Texas is pretty good. Uh, Texas has a lot of different geographical positives. It does have flatlands, if you like flatlands. Texas does have mountains, believe it or not. A lot of people don't realize it. But Texas has mountains, so if you're the kind of person that likes mountains, uh, that's good. Many parts of Texas, uh, normally our rainfall is pretty good, and again, the drought is starting to ease quite a bit in Texas right now, and I think the next few years looks pretty promising. No state income tax, a, uh, a very efficient, well-run government. We have a surplus. Our government, our government only meets once every two years. How about that? Huh? What a great idea. Isn't that a great idea? A government that only meets once every two years for about like five months? Wouldn't it be nice if the federal government would adopt a system like that? Right? Why do you need to get together? Why do you need to be in session more than once every couple of years? Uh, we have a lot of rivers. We have a lot of streams. We have a lot of natural resources. We have a huge diverse population. We've got a lot of banking in this state. We have a lot of farming in this state, tremendous amount of farming in Texas. We also have our big cities, and we got our problems. We have our crowded big cities full of a lot of crime and high expenses. And we have an education system that's not really super terrific. But then again, I got a feeling that if the stink hits the fan, we're going to be doing a lot of homeschooling of our kids anyway. So what difference does it make? So consider that. Texas, I think Texas is a pretty good place for preppers. There's no really right or wrong answer. So to teen prepper, I hope this gave you some things to think about. For those of you who are thinking about moving, I hope it gave you some things to think about. Uh, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, Texas probably has, if not the best, one of the best economies in the whole country. Jobs are incredibly plentiful in Texas. Especially in the Houston, San Antonio, Austin areas, uh, tons and tons of jobs. So, you know, you want you want a job. Our, our unemployment in Texas is pretty low, and uh, our economy is booming. Um, has something to do with oil. Wow, what a what a great concept, huh? Uh, something else that I wish that the uh, federal government would pay a little bit more a closer attention to, and that is our energy resources, which we have a lot of in Texas, by the way, and that can also be very good from a prepping standpoint. So I hope this has helped you. If, you think, if you're thinking about moving or you're wondering, you know, where are some of the best places for preppers to live, maybe I've given you some information to think about. Once again, check the show notes. Go back and check the show notes and find the links to everything that I'm talking about. I think you're going to get a lot more out of it by studying and reading. Okay, I want to conclude this episode by asking you to do a couple things. First of all, if you listen to my show on iTunes, would you do me a favor and give me an iTunes review? A lot of you have. I'd, I'd like to get more of them. Uh, this, you know, It helps rate this show. It helps keep this show... In, in the good ratings in iTunes. So when people are listening or they're looking for survival shows, 
podcasts on common sense prepping and so forth, the more ratings, the easier it's going to be for them to find today's survival show. The other thing is, like I mentioned, um, this show is about an hour. This episode here is about an hour long. And how many commercials did you listen to? I don't have paid sponsors, and I'm not trying to push a bunch of product on you that you might not need. So support my show. There's a couple ways you can do it. Don't forget about buying things through my Amazon store. I also have some custom podcasts that I've put together that contain information that do not have or that I have not put on this show before. I don't, I don't put this information on the weekly show that you hear or almost weekly show. So they're only $25 each. Part of my Survival Champions Club for 25 bucks a podcast or the whole collection for $75. You can get that whole collection. You can hear some really cool interviews on survival and prepping. So you can go to todayssurvival.com and you can look over in the right-hand margin and find the Survival Champions Club podcasts as well. Well, folks, with all that said, thanks for listening to another episode of today's Survival Show. That's it for this for this week's episode. I'm Bob Main. I'm your host. It's my goal to help you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you next week. Goodbye.